I just, uh, am I on? Good morning. I just, uh, I love what they come up with all the time and the facial expressions and all that sort of thing. Good morning, everyone. My name is Wayne. If you don't know me, I am uh, loving being here and being able to bring you the word this morning, be able to preach. Um, Rob is in South Africa this week. Uh, he's accompanied Chris and Merrill. How many of you were here for Chris and Merrill last week? That's more than earlier. That's great. How many of you were blessed by what Chris and Merrill brought into your lives during this time? And that's what we're all about. We are the Book of Acts Church. We really are. And it's no, it's no surprise and should be no, no new thing that we're preaching through the Book of Acts again and again and again as we are right now. Um, but it's a real privilege to be able to do it because we are the, the, the model which Jesus came to bring, the model which God has destined his church to be, his bride to be, is preparing his bride to be, is this. It's church. It's look around you. It's that kind of messy stuff in, in worship when we get a word and, and there's people coming up and getting healed and, and ministered to, and we don't really know what to do with the, the music, and we're online and everything. Good morning to you, Angela, my wife in South Africa. Hello. And, uh, and it's that sort of thing where, where it just gets a bit, you know, did anyone feel a bit... Mm? But it's brilliant. It's just, it's the life of the church. It's who we are. And I want to say to you this morning that it's part of our DNA. We've probably shared this picture with you several times, but I love sharing it, that Dudley Daniel, the man who started the, the movement, New Covenant Ministries, out of which this church was born and planted uh, in, the, in the 90s, I think it was. And uh, this church was planted in, uh, in late 2000, I think, January 2001, coming up for our 21st birthday. And, uh, and he... He was a pastor in a fairly traditional church. He was leading his church. He's reading the Bible, reading the book of Acts, looking at his church. Reading the book of Acts and looking at his church and saying, something doesn't measure up here. And so he set about trying to discover and go back to God and say, God, what is it? What is the blueprint of what you've come to leave us with? What does your body look like? What does the body of believers looks like, look like? And I want to say you're part of it here. If you don't believe it right now, if you haven't been with us very long, if you're just here for the coffee or the muffin, that's wonderful. If you'll join the, the new members' dinner, that's, uh, that's great. We want, to, we want to show you and we want to explain to you that we are a New Testament, Bible-believing, filled with the Spirit church. Amen? Amen. Right. And uh, I love it that, uh, that the book of Acts is all about the early church. It's all about what they did, how they did it. They didn't really... I can imagine they didn't really know exactly what was going on, but there was just a, just a hunger for it. And it's been our testimony. We've been in the church for nearly 21 years. And, uh, and when we got here, I'd been a Christian for quite a long time. Uh, I didn't come here for any God reason to Dubai. I came here to get some nice sunshine and, uh, and various other reasons. But our lives in, our, in the first three years were turned upside down and inside out as we came to understand what it was to do church in this way and to be the bride and to, and to live out the book of Acts. And I can tell you so many book of Acts experiences we had, but that's all in the past, but actually it is here today. And if you think about what we've been doing over the last few weeks, we've been walking through the book of Acts. A couple of weeks ago, we preached on a baptism in the Spirit, and many of you were, had the experience like they had in the Bible what, what baptism you received? I received the baptism of John. Wow, you've got to try the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And seeing people filled with the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues, revolutionizing, I hope, your, your spiritual lives and the way you are. And then two weeks ago, we had, uh, 
Rob's teaching about the apostles who were sent. There was a, an outbreak of the gospel in Samaria as the church was scattered. And Philip, one of the guys we'll look at in a minute, went down to Samaria. And the apostles heard about it and they said, come, we've got to see what is, what is going on there. And, uh, and that, that whole sending of the apostles. And that's exactly what Chris and Merrill were to us as an apostolic gift to the church. You see, they didn't come from the other side of the world and arrive here at whatever time on Thursday night to be ready to preach two services on a, on a Friday and then a leaders meeting on a Friday night and then an elders meeting on a, on a Saturday just because it was fun or they're guest preachers or they just that's how they roll. But they came because they're an apostolic gift to the church. They added into us. They lifted our heads. And that's what's, hap- that's what's happening this week with Rob, Chris, and Merrill having gone to, su- gone to South Africa it's not some tourist trip. It's not just because flights are open. Thank goodness they are. But it's to, it's to go down and build up the church. It's to lift the leaders' heads. It's to actually talk about and be apostolic in nature and saying, this is what God has for you. So I really do hope. This is all for free right now. It's not part of the preach. But uh, it's, uh, it's what we are. It is who we are. Um, I love the apostolic movement that uh, called itself Acts 29. And it's called that because there's 28 chapters in Acts. And it's actually like we are the next chapter. And what is God going to do through us? And it's been happening again and again and again. And I want to say, if you're not excited about, about that in Dubai, you need to just come and be part and get yourself into the body here. Get yourself part of the family. Find out what is on, what are, what is on God's heart for you and what He wants you to do while you're in Dubai. Don't waste your time, but get yourself into that place where you can be used by God and you're following the Spirit and you're being geared up for the next assignment you have. So this morning we're going to have a little look at one of the stories which appears in the, in the book of Acts. It's chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, turn to it. It'll be up on screen in a minute. There we go. Philip and the Ethiopian. And I don't know if you're a bit like me, but I've read through the story many times. I've probably, if I'm honest, I've kind of skimmed it nowadays because, oh yeah, it's Philip the Ethiopian. Yeah, he gets saved. He goes goes back, it's all great, Uh, there's a baptism in there somewhere. But I want us to stop and think a little bit this morning about why this particular cameo was recorded and why Luke, the author, thought it worthwhile recording this particular experience uh, as as a factual act and then for generations to come that we would read it when he probably didn't record all the, all the things that happened there. There were all sorts of healings going on. This follows on the back of um, Philip going down to Samaria when the church is scattered and preaching the word there, meeting Simon the sorcerer who wants to bottle up this religion and sell it online. Beware of ministries called simonthesorcerer.com. Okay, uh, kind of first televangelist guy, if you do this thing, God will bless you. Anyone that takes away from the life of God and the, the church and the, the body of, of Christ we need to be wary of. That's for free as well. Okay. Um, <laughs> but we have Philip going down there, and he meets this Ethiopian. So let's read the story. Starts in Acts, 28, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. 
Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before it, its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. Love those words. And beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, Look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, the next verse is in square brackets because some of the earlier manuscripts don't have it. But I think it's a great verse because this is what we do ask people when they get baptized. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. We're going to spend some time this morning just unpackaging this a little bit and looking at the key characters in here. The two key characters, one is Philip and one is the Ethiopian. And as I said, if you're anything like me, we've kind of glossed over that, haven't really thought too much about where Philip came from, where he ended up, who the Ethiopian was, what he might have been, and why this story is particularly here. But I really hope as we do this, God will just open up this living and active word in our hearts and show you something, shine a light on something here, which, uh, which reveals something of God's nature, of who he is, and how he works. So first of all, we're going to look at Philip. So we first encounter Philip in the Bible in Acts chapter 6. He is a, a Greek-speaking Jew. He's probably newly converted because everyone was newly converted then, I think. Um, for how long? I don't know. I don't know how long it took between Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came and, uh, and, and the, the, the beginning of the church happened to Acts chapter 6 when Philip was part of the seven of the first deacon team that were ordained in the church as servant-hearted men. And I don't know how long it took until Acts chapter 8. And I kind of feel, if it's anything like my experience with kind of what I've felt as a book of Acts, those book of Acts years may have been like Dubai years. You know, when you've been in Dubai for one year, you feel like you've actually lived a whole number of years. Can anyone identify with that? And I was thinking, it's not, not quite a dog year. It's not quite seven years, but maybe, maybe three, yeah, something like that. So you cram three years of activity into that, and you think, gee, I've only been here Six months or a year or a year and a half, whatever. I've done so much. So much has happened. So much has changed in my life. My wife and I have been for, here for 20 years, which makes us 60 years old in Dubai years, which uh, probably means we ought to be pastured out or something. Uh, hopefully not yet. But, uh, but our experience has been that. And, it, it, and I imagine, and certainly my experience at Well of Life in the first three years, where I just got turned upside down, and then we were sent out to Abu Dhabi, and all sorts of things then happened in our lives then. It was like this massive moment. It was like living in the book of Acts. And I'd imagine it was something like that for Philip and those around him. So we know, too, that he's of good reputation. He is full of the Spirit and of wisdom because those were the characteristics, those were the criteria for deacons uh, that, uh, 
that the apostle said, pick these people to help serve in the church. I was part of the first, first deacon team here, and we knew nothing about deacons, elders, all that sort of thing. I've come out of a very hierarchical type of church and, and different types of uh, communities we've been in. But just understanding that, that this is God's leadership team, elders, deacons, and saints. Understanding that deacons are there to serve. Understanding that, uh, that we're people who are called to be full of the, or recognized to be full of the Spirit. And just, just in that place, it's just an amazing, amazing, beautiful thing. Anyway, that was Philip. He's an evangelist. He has the gift of evangelism. He goes, first of all, to Samaria when the, when the churches are scattered. That's where he meets uh, Simon the sorcerer and calls on the apostles. He then gets led by the Spirit down to Gaza. And I don't know what Gaza is. It says in brackets, a desert road. That's probably because the readers thought, Gaza? Really? What's in Gaza? And why on earth are you going there? But he was led by the Spirit to this place. Next, he kind of gets teleported to Azotus. And we don't know how that happened, uh, but the Spirit takes him away. And then he keeps on preaching all the way to Caesarea. And then the most interesting thing I found this week as I was going through it all is that he's last mentioned in Acts 21 when Paul and Luke and probably some others, uh, Luke talks about we, and there's always a different band of people around Paul at that time. Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem, but they stop off in Caesarea and they, say, they stay at the home of Philip the Evangelist. And note that Philip the evangelist is kind of Philip the guy who evangelizes. It's not evangelist Philip. And one of the things about the Book of Acts Church and one thing about Well of Life is we hate titles, okay? So it's not Pastor Rob, okay, any more than you don't call me Lawyer Wayne. Please don't. Um, but, uh, but it's Rob who is a pastor. Rob, Chris, who, has an apost who is an apostle and a gift to the church. So it's Philip the evangelist, not evangelist Philip. So, uh, so let's get that into our thing. We don't want to be weird about, about how, these, how these titles work. And in Acts 21, we find that Philip has settled in Caesarea now. And listen to this. I'm particularly heartened because I'm the father to three of them. But he says that he has four unmarried daughters who prophesy. What an amazing testimony that is of this man who is called, newly converted, all this, does all these great things, and then continues living out the road, and then... The, the inheritance he's given, the heritage he's got, is that his four unmarried daughters prophesy. That's Philip. Let's look at the Ethiopian. So the Ethiopian is an interesting character. His, the first thing we learn about him is that he's a eunuch. Okay, I don't know what, whether all of you know what a eunuch is. I don't even want to imagine it. But it's someone who is emasculated. And uh, this morning as we were worshiping, I really felt there was that song about I was made to worship. And it just really impressed on my heart that God has made every single human being. He's made us to worship and respond to Him. And we, we could choose not to, of course, but His heart is for us to reach out to Him and Him to reach out to us. And then we sang that song, Graves into Gardens. And it's kind of that you've done, I was, one, I was this and now I'm that. You've turned my mourning into dancing. You've, you've taken me from this and put me into that. And so as this week, I've been, I've been thinking about the, uh, the eunuch. You know, he was someone who was, whether by, whether he was forced into it, whether it was a family decision, this is what you're going to be, my boy, bad luck. You're the one in the family that's got to take this, uh, take this load on you. But he was kind of set apart for a particular task to, to be in the queen of this Ethiopian queen 
And uh, Unix were, were, were made Unix, I think, so they weren't going to be or supposed not to be of any harm to any of the, the royal women there. But I was thinking about him. He's a bit of a freak. He's, he's a bit taken out. He's, he's something else. In fact, he comes from a, probably a Jewish area in Ethiopia. Is it, do we have any Ethiopians here today? No. We had one earlier this morning, and I was having a chat to Rahel afterwards. And she said, this guy probably would have come from the region of Amahara, which is where Queen of Sheba was supposed to have come from, which is where the, the Jewish-speaking contingent in uh, Ethiopia were. It's in North Ethiopia. She actually comes from there. So he would have come from there. Um, but as a, as, a, as a eunuch, he was not allowed. And he was clearly seeking because he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. But as a eunuch, he would not have been allowed into the temple. Take a look at Deuteronomy 23, chapter 23, which says who can go in and who can't. He was excluded from the assembly. And I was thinking this morning, just Chris dropped something in last week. He said, you know, what if that eunuch, the, the, the equivalent for the eunuch today, is someone who is transgender, who's taken a decision to transition, who's the, the odd one out, who's not part of the clique, who's not, not fitting in, who's not, who doesn't fit our mold of thinking of what people ought to be. And I believe what he's saying to us today, and part of the, the importance of the story is that that eunuch, that kind of freak, that kind of misfit, found Jesus. He wasn't allowed into the temple, but he gets ministered to by this newly converted Greek-speaking Jewish man who's led by the Spirit at this desert road, and he finds Jesus. And folks, if that's something we can take away from the story into our lives and how we minister to people, or you may be sitting here and feeling, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit like that, like that Ethiopian guy there. I want to say there is there is Jesus. There, you're able to find him. And I kind of wonder why that's, if that's not why Luke put the story in here and gave it such significance and prominence. And what does the Ethiopian do? He lead, you know, Philip disappears and he gets back onto his train. And this would have been a, a massive uh, caravan of people. He was like the, the minister of finance. He was the chancellor of the exchequer. He was head of the treasury. And I don't know how many people that Philip ever would have had the, the, the guts and the courage to speak to um, in that. But he went up to him and he said, and he asked him a question. He was led by the Spirit and it says he opened his mouth and he preached Jesus. But this Ethiopian then receives Jesus. He says, look, here is water. Why can I, get, why can I not get baptized? And Philip says, well, in, in brackets, so well, do you believe that Jesus is, is your Lord? He says, yes, I know Jesus is the Son of God. So he's been saved. He's had that saving thing inside his heart. He says, why do we not let me get baptized right now? And they do it right there and then. Philip then disappears, and it says the, Egyptian then go, uh, the Ethiopian then goes on his way rejoicing. And I was wondering whether he wasn't rocking that song, which I thought was for the Egyptian today, that we sang there, that rhythm and blues song there about your, your salvation, your forgiveness, like sweet honey on my lips, like the holy water on my skin. I was walking down a desert road, and you met me there. Don't know whether it was that song at that time, but, uh, but it was something like that. And uh, I've been looking a little into what, uh, when, when Christianity came to Ethiopia, and the perceived wisdom is that it came through a Greek man called Frumentius in the 4th century. But recent studies and recent archaeological finds, and this is as recent as two years ago, have been finding churches which predate his arrival in Ethiopia by at least 100 years. And uh, so I'm wondering whether it wasn't our eunuch here who took 
Christianity to Ethiopia and broke open a region and, uh, and was able to, to, uh, to, to transform that, that part of the world. There's a beautiful, I hope you carried on reason, reading the scroll of Isaiah, because in Isaiah 56, there's a beautiful promise that the Lord has for the foreigner, for the eunuch, for all those people who were excluded from the, from the temple at that time. And on the eunuch, he says, and do not let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So folks, let's not, let's not neglect those around us that, that may be different, that we may feel don't fit into the place we are. And if you're in that place or you know people in that place, open your mouth, preach Jesus to them and bring them to, to, to let them know that there's a Savior that they were made to worship and who wants to reach out to them. So I don't know whether we could get the... Uh, uh, Rob's been using this map of uh, the apostolic trips and what happened to the church there. Are we able to get it up, Kenty? There we go, Rob's map. And, uh, and we, we do a lot of charting on, on Paul and Barnabas' movements and Silas and all that. What we don't look at, though, is where those people went who were touched. And I've just put this big blue arrow on there, which is upside down for Ethiopia. <laughs> but, uh, but that's where this guy went and uh, broke open a region. And the gospel spread like wildfire. The church was scattered and the church was per- persecuted to do it. But this is what led the gospel to spread and spread and spread and spread. One of the things I'm responsible for right now is helping organize our 21st birthday. And one of the things we're doing is we're reaching out. We're asking for a postcard from all the people that we remember who've played a, life, a role in the life of the church. And we're getting them through different people. Uh, Tony Greenwood is friends with everyone and has uh, dredged up all their, all their uh, contact details. We're asking them to write us a postcard about where they are, something for the church, saying when they were here and what they're doing now. And it's such a beautiful picture of what we have been as a Book of Acts church in this amazingly exciting place where, let's face it, everyone, even us, are going to leave at some point and, uh, and we're being prepared and readied for the, for the next mission that we have out there. So how does this apply to us today? Well, I think I've said quite a bit about this, but we need to continue just being led by the Spirit. Philip, the only reason he went down to that, that, that desert road is because he, was, he heard a voice of the Spirit going down there, to go down there. And when he got there, he found the, the, the Ethiopian and the Spirit said to him, go and speak to them. Now, I don't know how many important people, ministers of finance with big caravans and everything else that Philip had ever approached. Obviously, a very, very bold guy. But how many of you have been in that moment where you, you, you're in that place where you think, ah, I just should have said something. I just should have said something. And then going afterwards, going, gee, Holy Spirit, what, what did I miss there? And how many of you have been in that place where you actually opened your mouth and were able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's as simple as sharing your story, what happened to you, because that's all that the gospel is and is what Jesus has done for you and allowing people to be brought to a saving faith no matter what their circumstances. And then what we want to talk about today is this whole act of baptism. You see, we've been, as elders, we've been, we feel we're in a time and a place where we're called to just humble ourselves before the Lord, come before Him, not press ahead with our programs and focus and all that, but allow God to speak, us and speak to us and guide us. And part of that, too, is adopting a posture. We, you've probably heard that word in the last three, four weeks, adopting a posture before the Lord where He can work with us. And one of those things, I think, is an act of obedience 
and doing something which we're commanded to do when we make disciples, when people give their, give their lives to the Lord, when we come into the saving faith of knowing Jesus, and that's to get baptized. And the Ethiopian, for him it was easy. Look, here is water. Why shall I not get baptized? And Philip goes, yeah, yeah, why not? Do, do, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah, yeah, I believe, I believe. Let's go and get you baptized. And it's such an amazing thing. There have been a, a number of stories in the, in the book of Acts where it, it happens. The, the prison jailer, uh, him and his wife and his whole family get saved that night, and they go and then get baptized. And folks, I want to say to you, and it's a, it's a call to baptism. It's a call to something that we're called to do as an outward sign of something inward that has already happened. I want to make it very, very clear that the act of baptism, and here we're talking about full water immersion, so going under the water and coming up. And I'll explain a little bit about why that is important, what that signifies, and why it's such a, a, an amazing action to do. But I just want to make it clear that that action of, of being baptized is not your salvation. Your salvation comes through you repenting in your heart and understanding and and recognizing that Jesus is Lord of your life. And as the, as the Ethiopian here said, that he is the Son of God. And then recognizing and receiving his forgiveness of your sins and your submitting. Repentance means 180 turnaround. So I was focusing over here, and now I'm going to focus here. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ, the one who saves. That's what salvation is. But baptism is a sign of that. It's the outward sign that, yes, Lord, this is what I've done. And so we need to be ready to baptize. Um, if you're a born-again believer, you are qualified to baptize people. I, um, I went back to this uh, this week. I have this little sheet of paper in my Bible, which I keep here. And um, it's, a, it's a whole list of baptism scriptures. And it is so that I am ready, whenever, the, whenever it happens, that I am ready to be able to explain what, what baptism is, what it means. And look, here is water. Why shall we not baptize you right now? So, um, so those of you who are born-again believers, you don't need to be Pastor Rob or Evangelist Philip or anything like that to do it. You are a saint. You are qualified to, uh, to baptize people. We don't do it lightly, and it's a significant moment, but it's something we should be doing. So I want to use five pictures today to, um, uh, to illustrate what baptism is. I wonder if you could put them up there, Kenty. The first three are there. So number one, Baptism is a press release. When Jesus got baptized in Matthew 3, verse 17, there's a voice that from heaven that comes down and says, Behold, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. See, a number of you taking photos of it. Do it. Get it on your phone so you are ready to baptize people the next time this comes around. You can talk about it. You can use Scripture to do it. Behold, this is my Son. It's like a press release. Here He is. It's, it's like Jesus being announced to the world and Jesus acting in obedience. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He was the Son of God. Yet he became fully man, responded to John's call, was baptized, came up out of the water, and the Father said, this is my boy. I'm well pleased with him. So if Jesus can do it, why can't I? Number two, it's a bath. Acts 22:16. This is about Paul, who used to be Saul, who was persecuting the church. And it says, someone says to him, now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. And that act of baptism, going into the water and coming out again, it, it signifies, it symbolizes our sins and our old nature being washed away and us being a new person. Number three, it's a graveyard. 
Romans 6 verse 4 says we have been buried with him through baptism. So again, we get buried with Christ and then we get the new life of Christ when we come up uh, out of the waters. It's a maternity ward, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. It says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's about being born again. It's about being born again, not of flesh, Jesus says, but of the Spirit. It's being born again in who we are. It's a rewiring of our, of our brain. It's, a, it's the, 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 the working out our salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that we are new people, knowing that we have turned 180 degrees from following there to putting our faith in Jesus over there and wanting to see ourselves sanctified and knowing that we have a crown of glory stored up for us. It's a beautiful, wonderful walk and it starts with a saving faith, which is evidenced physically by the act of baptism. And then finally, it's a fashion makeover. Galatians 3 verse 27 says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You see, he took our filthy rags and he put robes of righteousness on us. The Bible says again and again and again, it says, Take off your old self and put on the new self, which is in Christ, hidden in Jesus. And such a powerful uh, picture of that when we go under the water and we come up. I want to share with you, I've been, uh, as part of my 21st birthday uh, tasks, I've been going through some of our old literature. Um, how many of you are familiar with this thing? This is <laughs> Francis over here. He was there. Matt. This is winter 2003, the Life magazine of Well of Life Church. And a uh, wonderful story in here. And actually, I, I do remember it well. It was, uh, I think it was the first time, the first home groups have been started. The first connect group started at Well of Life. And these were the first set of baptisms that I'd ever done. And we did them in, our, in the pool in our compound. Look, here is water. Why shouldn't we baptize? And um, I wonder if you recognize this fine, beautiful, wonderful looking couple. <laughs> they haven't changed a bit, have they? And uh, Paul and Tanya, and, uh, and Tanya wanted to get baptized. And there were a number of things that Tanya was going through in her life at that time. Uh, I've been sharing a couple, couple of WhatsApps with her. She knew I was talking about her today. Um, and a couple of WhatsApps with her about the, the, the beautiful time that that was in her life and what it became. And if you think about the prophetic picture that she brought today of that puzzle, of that thing that's joined up and that one piece that's missing, and you put it in, it becomes whole. And Jesus makes us whole. And part of Tanya's uh, testimony, I think, which she wrote down, there's a bigger article uh, in here about that, was that she, she came to get baptized. And uh, at the time, uh, we didn't know this, but she and Paul were uh, trying, to, trying to fall pregnant, trying to have children. There were a number of obstacles in the way. Some of them were in her head and in her mind and that. Some of them were, were physical obstacles, but they were struggling to fall pregnant. And I remember it so vividly. I always try and pray for people when, when we baptize them, try and get a picture for them, try and pray something of, of meaning over them. And, uh, and I remember when we put Tanya into the water, myself and another lady in, in, the, in the group had this very, very vivid picture of seeds in a hessian sack or like those beads that used to grow into cotton wool and that. And as we put her under, there were seeds and, we, and she came up. They just shot into life and went like straight through the hessian sack. And there was just life and it was just life and abundance. and was green and these beans grew and everything else. And so we shared that with her. And a few weeks, or I can't remember exactly how long it was after that, 
But Tanya did find out that she was pregnant, and uh, we now have Liam with us, and that, that was that. But it's such an amazing testimony of God's grace, and it wasn't, it wasn't the baptism that did that, but part of Tanya's walk was that walking in obedience and taking that step and allowing God to minister to it and to, to do something in her life through that. And so my call today, I, I took a, a long time to come to baptism. I grew up in a traditional church. I was uh, sprinkled as an infant. Um, uh, as, as a christening, uh, my parents made certain vows on my behalf. I can't remember them. I certainly didn't make them myself. And in our stream, when you got to a certain age, you were then uh, confirmed. And you went through this uh, ceremony where you, you were confirmed through your, of your, you, you said, yes, I agree with that. Uh, but, we, but it didn't involve water or anything. I took it very, very seriously. I, I, truly, I truly felt that when the bishop came and laid his hand on my forehead, I felt like it was the Lord touching me. I was saved then. I was saved in that church. And, uh, and that became a bit of a stumbling block for me because I thought, well, I've, I've done that and I, I don't need to. And it was only about eight or ten years later that I was actually convicted about the need to, to actually go and have full water baptism. And I didn't go terribly joyfully or anything like that, but I'd went as an act of obedience. And nothing amazing happened, but I'm so glad that I did it. And I'm so glad that I obeyed what I see in Scripture here in that. So this morning, my challenge to you is uh, if you haven't yet been water baptized, can we have the map up, Kenty? No, no, the, the picture at the end. Look, here is water. Black Palace Beach. It's actually tomorrow morning is the 16th, sorry. Uh, got a little overzealous there. We are going to do some baptisms. And, uh, and if that's you here today, you may be in a place where you have been a Christian for a long time, but never actually been water baptized. You may be a person that doesn't know Jesus yet, but you're thinking today, I'm, I'm, I want to know who this Jesus is. And what we'll do is we'll pray for you. We'll allow Jesus to come and we'll allow you to accept him into your heart so that you can say, I am saved, I'm born again. And then if you choose to, we can baptize you tomorrow morning. If you are one of those people like who might be in a category, some form of category of a eunuch here today, you might be struggling with things. You might feel, I don't fit into this whole thing. I want to say to you today, then this story proves that there is salvation for you. There is acceptance for you. There is love for you. There is home, a home for you. And we would love to be able to do that with you today. So uh, Morgan is going to be at the back of, um, of the... Uh, the hall today, and uh, if you would like to get baptized, we'd like you to put your name down there. Be brave. Invite your friends along. If you're not able to speak to Morgan about that, tell someone else here, and they'll come and tell one of us, and then we'll get in touch with you. But don't, don't neglect this moment. Don't neglect this moment in the church where we are posturing ourselves, where we're trying to bring ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, speak. And he's saying, be obedient. Do these things. And he's available and he's there. We don't earn salvation through it, but it's God's gift to us in that. I wonder if the worship team could come up now. We're going to, um, are they around still? There they are. Come on, AJ, you've had a, a long morning. You know, these guys start to get here about 7 o'clock in the morning and they're fantastic. And I wonder, I wonder if you could stand with me, please. Felt this morning very strongly that. Uh, Part of the story in the, the book of Acts Church is about identity. It's about someone who was excluded or thought he was excluded and was seeking. 
clearly wasn't happy with his life. And then finding Jesus on a desert road and being turned around. And this morning, I think it's, it's something that we, wanted, we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate and shout out as an anthem our identity in Jesus Christ and to know him and the ability to come and, and dwell and to be part of this body and to allow Jesus to affect us yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever.